welcome to Making Tech Better, MadeTech's fortnightly podcast bringing you content from all over the world on how to improve your software delivery. For us, that means empowering your teams to collaborate compassionately on creating high-quality software that delivers value quickly to the people that really matter, the users. My name is Claire Sudbury and my pronouns are she and her. I've been a software engineer for 21 years. I do a lot of speaking and writing on the topic of software delivery, and I'm a lead engineer with Made Tech. Now, I have a passion for learning, and I deliver training content to engineers on our Made Tech Academy program, so I'm really interested in how teams learn. Jessica Kerr is an expert in helping teams to learn. She's currently delivering workshops on systems thinking with Kent Beck. So I was really excited to catch up with her on the 22nd of December and find out what a somathacy is and how to deliberately enhance the learning feedback loop within our teams. So today I have Jessica Kerr here with me who is a software developer of 20 years, currently an independent consultant for Jessitron LLC. I'm really excited to have Jess here today. I'm really glad that she agreed to speak to me. She's a fantastic conference speaker, very highly regarded consultant. She knows a hell of a lot about DevOps transformations and how to build effective software teams. But the thing that really made me want to speak to Jess today is that we both share an excitement about helping software teams to be inspired, creative learning organisms. But before we get to all that, I'd love to kick off by asking, who in this industry are you most inspired by? Oh, Claire, that's such an interesting question. And I am honored to be the first guest on your podcast. Who am I inspired by? I've thought about this overnight. And the thing is, there's not just one person. The industry as a whole is so exciting. It's in such a phase of growth and exploration as we struggle to figure out what software development is. And I hope we never do because I hope we're continually evolving what software development is like we are right now. But there's so many people that I admire and am inspired by. Um, For instance, Jay Bloom and Abeba Burhani come to mind. Uh, They're both thinking in much broader terms. Jabe's doing his uh, dissertation on design of change, like design of change that takes hundreds of years. And uh, software relates into this because it's such a big part of that, of how we do change and how we stop change. And uh, there's people who've been around for a long time, like Kent Beck and Eric Evans, but are still writing new things. And yeah, yeah, it's such a place of continual learning. There's there's just so many people. Yeah, no, and the thing about continual learning, I mean, that's what we're going to be talking about today. That's the thing that we're both really interested in. Um, I'm intrigued by the idea of change over a hundred years or right? more. A hundred years ago, did we did we have software? No, that's the that's the fascinating thing. Yeah. Let's see, 100 years ago, that was 1920. Uh, no, we did not have software then. I think in the, it started to emerge in the 50s and 60s. Oh, here's another person, Hillel Wayne, I think it is. Hillelogram on Twitter. Okay, how's that spelled? H-I-L-L-E-L. 
O-G-R-A-M. Fantastic. I, I don't even know people's last names. I know their unique ID, which is their Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but he writes a lot about software history and, and works it into current conversations and development. And it's a recent enough industry that you can know a good chunk of the history. Yeah. Yeah. Also, we keep recording ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. But, but there is so much. There is so much. I mean, you can know... You can know a lot of the history, but you can never know everything that's happening in software at the moment. So I guess you can never know everything that has happened because there's just so much of it. I mean, between us, we must have collective knowledge, but one individual can never know all of the things. This is, this is right. one of the things that blows my mind about software. Yeah. And one individual can never know half of how a computer works anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that when I'm teaching people, that's something that I always make a, a point of saying to them. Do not think that you can do a course or a degree or even several years worth of study and ever reach a point where you know all the things that there are to know about software development. That point will never arrive and you have to make your peace with that. Oh, if it ever arrived, that would be so sad. <laughs> yeah, because then you wouldn't have anything to learn. And that's the exciting bit, right? Right. Anyway, I feel like I feel like all of this has been preamble and I haven't even officially asked you any of my official questions on my <laughs> list of questions yet. But before we do that, I can't resist. I just have to say I love your hair. So oh, um, <laughs> I like yours, too. <laughs> I've no idea whether there's ever going to be a visual component to this. Probably most people are only going to be listening. So I'm just going to have to tell people that Jess's hair is amazing. It's multicolored. <laughs> it looks as though you're aiming for a rainbow. I mean, I, I think I can see something that looks a bit like uh, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, violet. I don't know if all of those colors are there. I, you know, I think there was one about a month ago, but every couple of weeks I put something different in it. So it's many layers of colors. It's amazing. <laughs> you look fantastic. Okay. We're going to be talking about somathacy. And somathacy is a word that I hadn't even heard of until I looked at Jess's website. So I'm going to ask Jess to explain the word. What is somathacy? Somathacy. It's from the Latin sim together and mathacy learning. It was coined by Nora Bateson, who's an anthropologist. And a somathacy is a learning system made of learning parts. So Nora particularly needed this to describe ecosystems and economies. In an economy, you've got all these businesses and consumers constantly uh, changing in response to the market, in response to each other. So the parts are always learning, and therefore the system as a whole is learning and changing, and therefore the parts have to learn and change, etc. And our teams are like this. Our teams are composed of people and, I argue, in software development, running software. And we're all learning from each other. Of course, we learn from each other as people, but also the software learns from us because we change it. Yeah. And we learn from the software when it throws exceptions or changes data. And also our tools are part of this this system, this somathacy that is our team, mm. because we don't change the software without tools. We need our our version control and our deploy systems and our build tools. And uh, we learn only through our tools, through our SQL prompts at a low level, uh, through our log aggregators, hopefully through our observability and through our tests Yeah, and various other. So some of the tools like our tests, they exist to help us learn from our software. 
and we get to create those at the same time. So I love this about software in particular. And this is why I think one of the reasons I think that the software industry has a better opportunity than any other that I know of. I, I did work in biotech for a while and you can inject genes into seeds, but then did the gene get in there? Um, you can synthesize the gene. You can like hurl it at the seeds <laughs> um, <laughs> with these like laser gun things. But then did it get in? You don't know. Sometimes they'll inject genes that glow under black light along with the gene they're interested in to find out whether the gene got into the seed. And then how many did it get in? You don't know. It's so hard yeah. to know what effect you've had on the system and what's going on in there. But in software, that's just a log statement. We can throw that in any time. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And like, I, I mean, I said, that's just a log statement. But I, I think logs are kind of a holdover from when that was the only way we had to get information out of our system. But now, just a log statement, that writes some data somewhere. And at least now we have like log aggregators that can pull this stuff together and search through it. But that's because we didn't put very much information in the log statement, information that can structure it and get that message to the right future self. So tools like Honeycomb, I, I, I love them. Mm-hmm. Um, I love Honeycomb because you, you can put whatever you want in that log structure, it's just a structured log statement. You can throw whatever you want in there, and then you can build queries to find those. Um, and also, they they fit within a context. Every every honeycomb event is within a span, or can be, which can be within a nested span, and so on, so that you can contextualize. Yeah this piece of information, this clue that you're leaving yourself. Yeah. And you just mentioned then the idea of our future selves. And that reminds yeah. me of a phrase that you used when I talked mm. to you about this last week. You talked about the next version of ourselves, which I find fascinating. Can you tell me a little bit about that and how that fits in with the idea of somathacy? Yes. Yes. This is a discrete learning <laughs> which we can look at and then realize that when when we take an action, when we choose to do something, there are two outcomes of of the day, of our task, of whatever unit you want to look at, since it's not very discreet. Um, there is side effects on the world, such as the code we wrote, um, the conversations we had with people and however that affected them. And there's the next version of ourselves. So take one day in the life of a developer our output might be some change to the code that's learning in the system. And it's however we changed as a person in our pair and how what we learned that day is going to affect what we're able to do in the future. Yeah. And so the whole somathesy has changed. Uh, but it's important to, to think about that because if as a manager, for instance, you're pushing uh, the developers that you're responsible for to only change the code to only work on the software and not giving them space to do it better and better and like thoughtfully in a way that also produces new versions of themselves mm-hmm. with additional abilities, then you're really hampering your entire future. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so the interesting thing about that is that if we're saying that everything that we do is going to be a learning process. And in fact, yeah, I mean, even more interesting is that because everything we do is a learning process, that is true whether we like it or not. So there is always going to be a new version of ourselves and we either acknowledge it and celebrate it or we don't, but it's going to happen anyway. And therefore, what you have to do is acknowledge growth and acknowledge change and acknowledge that we are all going to be learning as we progress. And that's something that we can capitalize on. We're building software systems that are bigger and more interesting than we can understand. We're building teams Mm. and other teams and other teams and organizations of teams that the people outside executives, for instance, they can't understand Mm. all of that. And you kind of have to let go. Yeah. So that's problematic, though, isn't it? How can we build teams that are agile with a small a, that are flexible, that are able to learn, that are responsive, but also have them be understandable by other teams because teams have to collaborate with each other. So somehow we have to coordinate these efforts. Mm -hmm. How do we do that? Well, I think this goes back to software too. You make an API. (laughs) Fantastic. And when you say API, do you you literally mean API or are you kind of creating an analogy here? You're saying that there are processes that teams can have that are like APIs. Oh, uh, sometimes you really implement them in software in the sense that uh, many organizations want all of their teams to use JIRA or all of their teams to use Rally. And the reason that they want that is because the reports roll up. Mm Mm-hmm. And, and they can get some sort of overview of what the teams are doing. The fact is the higher levels of the organization need some information about what's going on. Part of being responsive is being in some ways transparent, is being legible, going upward in the ways that uh, people need. And so that they can make not perfect predictions, but like confidence intervals. Mm. So we do need to provide information going outward. Now, as an API, I think shouldn't matter how the team works internally. Maybe they use Trello. Maybe they are lucky enough to be in the same place, I wish, and have <laughs> post-its on a whiteboard. Or maybe they use Miro, whatever. They also need to provide information to the organization in a way that rolls up. Mm-hmm. But separate that from your internal workings. I've got your attention, let me tell you a bit about Made Tech. After 21 years in the industry, I'm pretty choosy about who I'll work for, but there's lots to love about Made Tech. We're software delivery experts with high technical standards. We work exclusively with the public sector. We have an open source employee handbook on GitHub, which I love. We have unlimited annual leave. But what I love most about Made Tech is the people. There's a real passion to make a difference and they really care for each other. Our Twitter handle is MadeTech, M-A-D-E-T-E-C-H. And if you go to madetech.com slash resources slash books, you'll find that we have a couple of free books available, Modernizing Legacy Applications in the Public Sector and Building High-Performance Agile Teams. We're currently recruiting in London, Bristol, South Wales and the North of England via our Manchester office. You can find out more about that if you go to madetech.com slash careers. If you join our mailing list, you'll get extra podcast content as well as finding out more about Made Tech. You'll find a link in the description. 
We'll return to our interview with Jess now, but just to remind you of where we were up to before the break, we were talking about coordinating with other groups in an organisation and how responsiveness is more desirable than predictability and how that fits in with agile methodologies. You got very excited a minute ago and, 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 I, and I didn't let you continue. Was that the thing that you wanted to say? It, it was. It was. It's like, OK, so it's like functional programming again, where we make functions a first class citizen of the language, uh, first class value, I should say. And then we can consciously look at the function as a thing, pass it around, store it, blah, blah, blah. Those relationships between people, that shared context and vocabulary, of that, we can make that a first class member of the team. Mm. And it's the same with your tools, for instance, when you make those first class instead of, oh, we just have to deploy, we have to have some way to deploy. So this is good enough, but don't spend any more time on it. Mm. Mm. That tool it determines the relationship you have with your software. How quickly can you teach it something? Mm. <laughs> Get that out in production and in turn learn from it. Those are first class members of the team. Mm -hmm. Okay. So what concrete techniques do you use um, with the teams that you work with to, um, to achieve somathacy with those teams? Hmm. Concrete techniques for somathacy. Chit-chat in Slack is one. Tooling, working on tooling. Uh, there's in, in the learning of the team as a whole, where in the team I include the running software. Mm -hmm. It is part of how we achieve our purpose in the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> not much use without it. There's this line, um, Dr. Cook and Dr. David Woods call it the line of representation in the resilience engineering community. And it's the, the division between our social and physical space and the digital space within the computer. Yeah. And that line is only crossed by screens, mice, keyboards. Our windows into that are only what we create, the buttons that we create, the displays that we create. And that is a high leverage point to increase learning in the system when you can um, bring in honeycomb and get drilled down into the clues that you need, for instance, uh, when you can add tests because those come back to you. Mm. That's a high leverage point. People often ask how much time should you spend improving the system like this? And I mean, it's 80-20 rule. Huh? Mm -hmm. I mean, spend 80% of your time using the system to accomplish what the rest of the world wants from your little piece and 20% of the time making it better for the future. So every other 80% will be bigger. Okay. So when you say using the system, what do you mean by the system in that context? Give me an example. Oh, okay. That's a good question. Um, so I was thinking of the team's ways of working, mm -hmm. the team's tooling, uh, everything we have at our disposal to accomplish our wider purpose, mm, okay, uh, which is th that our software adds this capability to the business to improve or increase the capabilities that we add to the business. That's our that's our eighty percent. 
Yeah, so 80% of the time building and deploying software and 20% of the time improving those pipelines and the way that we're deploying. And what we know about and our interrelationships to each other and the rest of the business, just generally becoming a system that can do more and serve both its parts, that's us, and the wider system. Yeah. So I talked earlier about achieving somatosy, but somatosy is, is there whether you like it or not, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You're learning something. I mean, that something may be just more ingrained habits if this is how I type this. Yeah. <laughs> you may just be becoming more bored and hungry, but you're always changing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose what you're saying is recognize, be explicit about the fact that everybody is learning that we're learning as individuals we're learning as teams recognize it celebrate it aim for it and look at how the tools that we use and the systems that we use can enhance that and actually you know be consciously seeing how you can learn from your tools and your systems like we're officially out of time but can you hang on a little bit longer for some last wrap-up questions of course i'm on vacation today fantastic we've been talking about how our teams are symatheses and how that means that they're learning organisms constantly learning from each other and from their software systems We've talked about how we can enhance that learning feedback loop through effective communication and collaboration, through creating APIs for teams and through good use of software tools. So I suppose my first question would be, what would be your biggest takeaway that you would want people to have when thinking about somatheses and teams' abilities to learn? What would be, if the one thing they came away with after listening to this podcast, what would be the most important thing? What you're doing is not correct. Your code is not correct. Your software is not correct. Your design is not correct. But because of our conscious, thoughtful effort, all of these things are becoming better all the time. Mm, lovely. I like that. So finally, Jess, can you tell me one thing about yourself that is true and one thing that is not true? All right. So one is that I was in a band as a teenager and I played both the flute and the tuba, wow. but not at the same time. Okay. And the next fact that may or may not be true? Another one is that my grandparents were authors and published over 100 books between them. Wow, I love that. They're both fantastic. <laughs> okay, so um, the way that this is going to work is that I'm not going to, I'm going, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to tell me which one is true and which one isn't. But that's not going to be broadcast on the podcast. So people who want to know which one is true and which one isn't <laughs> will oh, have nice. to subscribe to find the answer. <laughs> So or they could ask me on Twitter. Ah, yes, they could. Go and find <laughs> Jessitron on Twitter and and ask her. So um I'm going to guess. Oh, that's so hard. So uh these books that your grandparents published, were they mm -hmm. a particular genre? They were mostly about missionaries. Ah, were your grandparents missionaries? Uh my grandfather was a minister. Mm -hmm. Um so they they went and and 
worked with missionaries, mm. but mostly they just wrote books. Okay. And what kind of music were you making with your band when you were playing the flute and the tuba? Was that the correct, mm-hmm. the instruments? Mm-hmm. Oh, whatever the school assigns mostly. Uh, oh, but, but sometimes video game soundtracks. <laughs> so, Jess, where can people find you? And do you have anything that, that you're particularly, you're running or about to run or writing or anything that, you, that you'd like to plug that you'd like people to know about? Why, thank you, Claire. <laughs> In general, you can find me on Twitter as at Jessitron, J-E-S-S-I-T-R-O-N. Also, Jessitron.com has my blog. Currently, I'm excited about a workshop that I'm doing with Kent Beck. He and I are teaching Invitation to Systems Thinking. Now, from where we are now, the next one is in January of 2021, but that one's full already. So go to systemsthinking.dev to sign up and hear about the next one. Fantastic. And is that systems thinking all one word, no hyphens or anything? Right. Yeah. Systemsthinking.dev. I love that domain name. (laughs) (laughs) It's a good one. Okay. So let's end on a high. Can you tell me what is the best thing that happened to you this month? It could be either work-related or not work-related, but what was the best thing that happened to you in the last month? Well, it's kind of in between career-related, I guess was I got to take the domain-driven design workshop from Eric Evans. Mm. That was really fun. Yeah. How long did it last? Four days. We did four days at four hours each, but like over a weekend. So Thursday, Friday, Monday, Tuesday. So you have the weekend to process and do the homework, which I didn't do because I did not have two hours that weekend. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it was great to dig into that. And there's so much wisdom in domain-driven design. Mm. It doesn't try to get everything right up front. It says on one hand, explore with your imagination what the model could be and what the, the language that fits the best and works the best. And on the other hand, map the contexts as they exist in the systems today in all their messiness. Mm. And then notice which area is the most important, which area is crucial to the business based on its current strategy, mm. not even just what kind of business is it. There is no one core domain area of most import. Um, and then focus on improving that. And it gives languages for like the relationships mm-hmm. between uh, software teams that are dependent on each other and language to talk about the way we talk to each other. Yeah, fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much for talking to me today. And I'm sure we'll chat again. And maybe one day when this is all over, we will meet at a conference. Wouldn't that be lovely? Yes. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Claire. Thank you. Okay. Have a great day. So just to help you process what you've heard, I'm going to do a quick recap Jessica's talked to us about how our teams are somatheses, which means that they're learning organisms and that they're learning from each other and from their software systems. We can enhance that learning feedback loop by effective communication and collaboration, by creating APIs for our teams and by good use of our software tools. Also, teams can and should collaborate to learn together while still retaining their independence.
every other episode, this last short segment will be devoted to story time. Storytelling is useful for teaching, for unlocking empathy, and for creating a sense of shared connection and trust in your teams. I love telling stories to both children and adults. I'm actually a lapsed member of the UK Society for Storytelling. So the plan is that I'm going to be using stories to illustrate various points about effective software development. This story is about a 25-hour weekend hackathon, Hack Manchester, which used to happen every October in Manchester. It's 25 hours because it always happens on the weekend the clocks go back. When I first heard about it, I thought, nah, no way. I can't write software in a month, never mind in 24 hours. So I didn't go. And then a couple of years later, I was working for AO.com and they had a team who were planning to go who already knew what they were doing. And I thought, okay, I could go along for the ride. And when I got there, it was mostly men. It was quite intimidating. But we all mucked in on our team and we made something we were pleased with. So fast forward a few years, I'd been to a couple more Hack Manchesters and I decided that for the next one, I was going to try and put together an all-female team and then struggled to find any other women who really wanted to do this with me. I was beginning to think that I was going to have to give up on the whole idea. But at the last minute, I managed to persuade my friend Luce Carter and my friend Katie. And we decided we were going to make an app for menopausal women. And then thought, oh, God, how are people going to react to this? People will be shocked, appalled that we're talking about such things as menopause. For me and my friend Katie, it meant admitting that we were ourselves approaching menopause. But we got on with it. And then at the end of the event, there's the awards ceremony. And it goes on for a while. And there are lots of different categories that get announced. So we thought, oh, well, never mind. We've done our best. And then at the very end of the awards ceremony, they announced the best in show category. And they started talking about sex discrimination and age discrimination. And no way. We actually got shortlisted for best in show. It was amazing. But the story's not over yet. The following year, I managed to put together another all-female team. Me and Luce Carter again, and then this time also Cynthia Lee and Sal Freudenberg. Now, Luce and Sal and I are all neurodiverse, and sleep is very important to us. And this time we decided that despite it being a 25-hour thing, we would go to bed rather than staying up all night. And time became the theme. We decided to make a time machine. If you want to know more about that, look up our blog posts. But the awards ceremony came around again. We sat through all of the different categories. We weren't listed in any of them. And then finally, at the very end, comes best in show. Surely it couldn't have happened again. I mean, no, right? But yeah, we got shortlisted again. Runner-up for best in show for the second year running. Okay, we'd take that. And then they announced the winner, and it was us. We were just so excited. If you look at our blog posts, you'll see the photos of us being very excited. So that's the happy ending of the story. And what are the lessons? I think one of the things that it really reinforced for me is that it's a good idea to do what scares you. 
hackathons are scary, but it feels so good to approach something scary like that and then break through and come out the other side having achieved something. But another lesson it reinforces is to not worry what people will think of you. Don't worry that you're making an app for menopause or women. Don't worry that you're sleeping when you're not supposed to because it's an all-night hackathon. Don't worry about having an all-female team at a mostly male event. Do what's important to you. And the great thing that is that it's a win-win scenario because, in fact, people respond really well to people doing what they care about and being their true, authentic selves. And it's so much more relaxing when you are being yourself and being honest about what you care about. Finally, we come to our Making Life Better segment, where colleagues share tips on how to make the world a better place. This week, Academy Engineer Zach Adlington shared with me the following tip. He says, I pick up litter. Not all the time, but just if I'm walking from A to B and I can see a piece of litter and a bin in the same view, boom, up it comes. I found that picking up even one tiny piece of litter just makes me feel much better. And that's the end of another episode. You can find me on Twitter at Claire Sudbury, which might not be spelt the way that you think. There's no I in Claire, and Sudbury is spelt the same way as surgery with E-R-Y at the end. You can find the podcast on Twitter at Making Tech Bet 2. That's Making T-E-C-H-B-E-T-T-2. Do come and say hello, give us your feedback, give us any contributions you have for future episodes or just have a chat with us. Thank you to Rose for editing and thank you to Richard Murray for the music. You'll find a link in the description. Also in the description is a link for subscribing for extra content. We'll be releasing new episodes every fortnight. Thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>